We only get to go around once. We cannot squander it. This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Growing up in Philadelphia and throughout the first half of Becky's life, she wrote for fun. She had a few of her children's songs lyrics published, and Becky wrote and directed scripts and lyrics for adult and children's theater productions. But she was most known for dashing off poems and song lyrics for parties and holidays. But it wasn't until this recent pandemic and the isolation that Becky felt that brought her writing up to a new level and made it take a turn where it became less of a hobby and more of a calling. Participating in poetry challenges that required daily commitment and discipline, Becky discovered a new, more authentic voice and now can suddenly honestly say with conviction, I am an author. Today, we are speaking with Becky Gibby. Thank you so much for joining us today, Becky, from New Jersey. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Let's get started right away and tell us about your, well, most recent, but huge second wind. Well, I think my main thing is I've discovered that I actually am a writer. I've been writing since the age of 12, and I never really considered myself a writer until now. Um, It was more of a hobby. It was more of a pastime. And it was, I would say, for the most part, small potatoes. And not that it isn't still on the grand scale of writing, But it is more significant than it's ever been before because I think it's more authentic. More authentic, more genuine than you were talking to me. Yeah. So I know that there was a, there was an event that pushed you down this path. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of a poet and I always write people birthday songs and I write Christmas cards and I write birthday things and uh but at when the pandemic hit uh my niece my great niece Kimberly Love said to me there is a website where they give you a prompt every day and you have to write a poem every day and it was called Escaperal and the She gave me the website and I looked at it and I looked at some of these prompts and I thought there is no way I'm going to be able to write a poem about, you know, reflection and uh, starry night and new growth and disappointment. And, And they were just very abstract to me. And I thought, I can't do this. 
And every day. Every day you had to do it. And every day. Right. So I started doing it. And lo and behold, as the month went on, I found that it was really a way to get out of the bed in the morning to think and be creative and put it up on Instagram on a daily basis. And I started getting responses. People that I never hear from were liking them and commenting on them. And I thought, wow, this is this is really very affirming. Mm-hmm. And so I kept going. And when the end of April came and I ran out of prompts, I went back to last year's Escape Rule website and downloaded the list from 2019 and started it again. And so I had uh, two months worth of poems. I had over 60 poems that I had written during the pandemic. And it was so uh, therapeutic for me, but not only therapeutic, it reinforced to me that writing is a discipline. I'm not a disciplined person, but if I was going to be effective in my writing, I had to be more disciplined. I had to set a time every day. I had to be more religious about it. Uh So when I got this little piece of paper from a neighbor here where I live about this contest uh, to write a one-act play about the coronavirus, I was in a writer's frame of mind. I probably never would have done this. I've never written a one-act play in my life, and I don't generally write for adults. My my books have previously been for children or for young adults. But I thought I was in a can-do frame of mind because how well I'd done with the poems. So I thought about the coronavirus and I thought about what what I was watching on the news. And I wrote a one act play uh, about a woman who loses her mother. And it's a one person play. Uh, It's all done uh, as uh, she's speaking on the phone with the caregiver who's with her mother as she's dying. And it was such a departure for me to be, first of all, writing something that wasn't comedic, that was so serious, and actually writing a a short play like that, Mm -hmm. um, it made me realize, probably for the first time in my life, oh my gosh, I am a writer. Wow. And when I, I submitted it in May, to Kane University that was running a, this competition. Um, f- their, uh, Kane University has a play, a stage uh, group called Premier Players, and that they were the ones that were doing this competition. And I heard from the end of the summer, I got a phone call that said I had won a New Jersey Senior Endeavor Award for Corona Farewell, which was amazing. To me, so, it was amazing. So what? I did? <laughs> really? <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I'm sure you got the right person. <laughs> so it uh, so those little poems in, in, in April um, had really given me that second wind as a writer. Gave you the legs to stand on for this. Huh? Yeah. It gave me the confidence 
But it really affirmed to me for the first time that it isn't just a hobby, that, that I am indeed a writer. And that was really wonderful for me. Well, I have uh, read your one-act play, and I was with many, many tears at the end of it. And you told mm-hmm. me that people want you to keep writing about this woman and her struggles and other struggles with Corona. And I think you should, because you, 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 you finished the last sentence of Becky's one act play and you go, Oh, where's the rest? You, you keep you mm. like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm in, I'm invested in this <laughs> now it's over. Well, you know, it's funny sequels. Um, I have had that same experience happen with the uh, with my other writing just recently, and that is um, I had written this picture book uh, about my dog. Uh, I walked my dog around the pond, and people kept saying to me, what's next? Where, where's she going to be walking next? And so the new book is I Walk My Dog Around the Town, and um, my daughter and I, Bain and I, wrote uh, this novella um, about a continuing care facility where I, I live now. And it's kind of a spoof and it's a comedic thing. It's a very short ebook on Amazon called The Weathered Widows. And everybody that's reading it going, I want to meet them again. I want to see those women again. What are they going to do next? So uh, sequels has actually become something I've never thought about. And I guess that's part of the second wind. Then I've usually done one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And when I finish that project, I move on to a completely different one. And now all of a sudden, these characters that I've created, whether it be the dog walking or whether it be the women that are living together in a facility, um, or whether it be a woman who's experienced a great loss in her life, people want more. And yeah. that surprises me. Because I've never thought of myself as a sequel writer. I'm kind of a one-off person. Well, I, I'm i glad you're looking at that because I think that's important for us all. But let's, let's, let's go down the path that all of this became Becky Gibby. Well, first of all, I think we, uh, I came from a family of, of, my father was a writer. He liked to write spoofs. And I came from a family of singers. Uh, music was a big part in our lives. My mother had trained as an opera singer and, as she loved to say, gave it all up for my father. <laughs> uh. And uh, but he he wrote poems and he wrote songs and he was always he had been in the Princeton Triangle when he was a young man and. And when my mother was young, she had been in a lot of operettas. So music and plays, the stage was very um, paramount in my life and in my sister's lives, all of us. Um, When I was, um, I guess, around 16, I direct I wrote and directed my first children's play um, in a community in Pennsylvania. And. It started me as a director at a very young age. And I believed that children's theater was should be done for children, not adults acting for 
children, but adult, but children actually acting out the stories. And from that time, when I was 16 on, I was writing children's musicals and in many cases directing them. Mm-hmm. And that became my sort of hobby. That was my writing. When I married and had a family, I started a theater group in in Chatham, New Jersey called Second First Sorry, First <laughs> Stage. And um I wrote a lot of historical uh plays, musicals. I had writing partners that did the music. And they it was children's theater being performed by children. And they were the the history of Chatham. And we wrote about George Washington. We wrote about the founders when the Indians were here in, in uh, when the, it was only Native American, the Lenny Lenape here in Morris County. And so that was a big part of my life. As I was raising my family, um, my kids had no choice but to be on the stage because we were doing rehearsals in the afternoon and I didn't need to have babysitters. They just came along with me. So my kids were on the stage at a very early age. It was a very natural thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so then I started directing on a, on a more professional, not professional, but uh, a level, not just the children's plays, but I became the drama coach at Chatham High School. And I was doing that because back in those days, they didn't have drama teachers. They just um, they had English classes and somebody was paid to come in and do the yearly musical. And that somebody was me. So I was also directing. Um, wow. So drama was, you know, be, was really a big part of our lives. Um, and those were plays, not that I wrote, but those were plays like Music Man and Oklahoma and, you know, My Fair Lady and and right. the big ones that right. ch- that high schools do. So that was so that was cool. uh, so cool. that was really a big part of my life as my kids were growing up and 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 then they were starting to leave the, the nest. Right. And then then you had a and a then. Bit of a- sideways note. Then I had a little bit of a uh, bend in the road. I got divorced. And um, all of a sudden, I needed to make money. I couldn't be the stay at home mom that just did plays for a lark. And um, my first job was so random. If somebody had asked me out of college if this is what I was going to do, I would have said, you're crazy. But I I became the, the um, executive director of the Chatham Chamber of Commerce. And um, I was there for 10 years and it was a great job. And then I, because so much of that was interacting with the merchants and fundraising and, and giving back to the town, um, I real and at that point, my sister Catherine was in development at Mystic Seaport and she was a fundraiser and I saw how effective she was and how good she was at her job. And I thought, well, I can do that too. I kind mm-hmm. of spent my whole life going, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. And so I left the chamber and went into fundraising for um, organizations that were um the first one was a advocacy center um, 
for kids that had been abused. And then the next one was, um, it, it just sort of developed. I went from one job to the next until I was the executive director of an organization that did um, capacity building for other nonprofits. And that was statewide. And that I stayed at for another 10 years. So philanthropy became my my livelihood. But also you had told me, and this is this is part of your story, because I remember when when I heard that you were doing this way back when you were friends with a gal at the chamber who introduced you to a whole nother study. Can yeah. You Yes. Uh, when I was the executive director of the Chatham Chamber of Commerce, I had an assistant, Francie Preston, who was in um, divinity school. And she started talking to me about what she was learning in at, at Drew Seminary. And I was like, my eyes were like, whoa, really? The Bible was just written by men and it's all slanted toward patriarchy and what do you mean it's not true and all of a sudden this blind faith that I'd had for all my all my life I was like really there's so much I don't know so I followed her and enrolled at Drew Seminary and with the intention of going all the way through and maybe come becoming ordained and becoming a minister another second wind <laughs> and um in in the meantime I had remarried and uh, my current husband um, was beginning to suffer from um, Parkinson's. And I was going for this Master of Divinity, and I was in the library every evening and all weekend. And I was coming down the home stretch to my Master of Divinity, but I needed uh, several more um credits and he his health was failing and so I decided to take the credits that I had get a master of theological studies and not become ordained but to perhaps use that that degree in other ways so um so I I, I would have made a terrible minister anyway <laughs> I'm too opinionated <laughs> <laughs> But not in a bad way, I don't think. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And you were you were telling me that, you know, you've suddenly found yourself not having the money you wanted to not be able to, you really had an, a priorities to, to do things for your children. Keep your daughter in her private school. Keep your kids going to, your two sons going to college and keeping your summer home afloat financially for them for mm -hmm. future generations uh and that right that you just did something about it you just went out there and said okay I'm gonna go get a job and then you just kept finding ways but it sounds like you found ways that kept you interested that spoke to you in some way that each job led to another discovery well, yes each job led to another thing, but I think part of that is because the affirmation that I received, all of a sudden I found out I was good at it. Um, I think affirmation has always been a big part of my quest. Um, I needed people to say to me, that's that's good, you're doing well. 
Um, and so when I was successful in the chamber, and I realized I could be more and do something more. And I, I am one of these people that isn't easily satisfied. I'm always looking for more. Um, and I, but I need that affirmation. And each job that I went to, I felt like I was pretty good at. And mm -hmm. each one opened different doors for me. And and also my going to Drew was a whole other thing. I I never thought of myself as a student. I had squeaked, not squeaked through school, but I had not been academically terrific going through. But all of a sudden, I was on track to graduate with a master's cum laude. And I was like, holy Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> this is this is so different because I was totally turned on by this whole idea of uh, a whole new viewpoint that I was learning in divinity school. So so it affirmation has been a big uh, quest for me. I need to be affirmed. OK, well, that makes sense. But you also were willing to take chances and try things and allow yourself to see the opening of the doors, right? And and move, yeah. keep moving, which is really important. So that's what your journey has been uncovering for you as a person. And you're in your second wind. Are you still needing that affirmation or is the affirmation coming from Not, within yeah is it coming from within See, now? i knew you were going to ask me this question so <laughs> i've been asking myself this question for the last couple of weeks because i um i don't like the fact that i need outside affirmation i want it to be more within mm -hmm. i think the pandemic and the isolation, the quarantines, the close downs and the and the isolation of living alone and um, not really having access to my family. And I, I think it has really made me very introspective. Mm. And I think by thinking um, in a larger way, looking at my whole life. I think I have attained that that goal uh, that the affirmation is coming from within now that I don't need somebody to pat me on the back and tell me I'm good or what I just wrote was wonderful. I'm if I'm happy with it, if I feel accomplished with it, then I that's enough for me now and I that that was never the case before. So um, there's a silver lining to the pandemic. I, I keep finding silver linings because I'm 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 hoping everybody's trying to find some silver linings as we go through what we're going through, because it's the only way to get through is to keep finding the silver linings. But that's one of mine is I, I'm getting it from inside. That is fantastic. Fantastic. And now you're doing things because it feels right. And it's something that you want to do. And if right. you get the affirmation, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. If I don't, right. Exactly. 
which is really exciting. That is and exciting. exhilarating. It, and it's ex- exhilarating to me at this stage of my life because I'm getting up there. <laughs> you know, I see, well, I'm I'm living in a place and I'm at a stage of life where I'm watching people go the opposite direction. And I don't like that. I want to see people reveling in the fact that they're still alive mm-hmm. and not giving in, not letting up, not forgetting their goals and not caring how they look and not caring what they're doing. I, I think it's really, really important for all of us to stay positive. And we we only get to go around once. We cannot squander it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I love that the second wind it really is designed. The whole point of the podcast is designed to sit, to do exactly what you're saying for for 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. If if right. if, if right. you've got something brewing inside of you, get it out. Do it. Yeah. There's no end of the road. There's no. You end just of the have road. to maybe do a curve, uh, take a detour. But there's no end of the road. You gotta keep going. Purpose purpose yeah so with that said there's a couple really neat things that you're doing because you said in your own community you were you were seeing sort of a backwards movement of people and you are trying to change that what does that look like for you oh well i i firmly believe that um, I don't, I didn't come here to be an activist, but all of a sudden I, I became an activist in spite of myself. And that's because I have a big mouth and I am pretty opinionated. And um, one of the things I don't think people are considering um, is with enough in severe um, mental health aspect of this pandemic that people's um, mental health is being severely impacted. And I don't think we are really taking it as seriously as we should. So um, I was very aware that as the time change came along and it got darker earlier and it was getting colder, the, the people that had really kept their their spirits up by walking outside and and congregating, not congregating, but at least getting coming together for a glass of wine or a or a book discussion outside, we're going to be driven inside. And I was upset about the fact that with a few easy changes, we we could do something about that. And so I got some signatures of other residents and um, asked the management to look into fire pits and, uh, so that people could continue to be outside and, and be with each other and be safe. Um, and despite the fact that it's getting dark and it's getting cold. So all of a sudden I'm collecting signatures and writing letters and not what I expected to be doing, but you know, it's just part of the game. Well, I'd want you on my team if I were there. That is for sure. <laughs> for sure. So Becky, tell me, I mean, honestly, you could, you know, you're in your, in your town home condo place, you, 
you've got some grandchildren now, you have your writing. I mean, you don't really need to do a whole lot more. What what drives you every day? Do you have any secrets or are there any routines or meditations that you well, do? I think you have to have projects. Um, I feel like you really need to, and I learned this because of Kimbo telling me that I had to be more disciplined writer. I do have a project that I have not fulfilled, and that is writing the story of my aunt, who was a World War II pilot. And I've been playing around with this story for probably five or six years. And somehow I walked my dog, got in the way, and Corona Farewell got in the way, and different. Um, I still write plays for my senior players up in the up in the mountains um, that we do every. So I, I'm easily distracted from that project because it's hard. Oh. Um, I didn't ask her all the right questions when she was still alive. There aren't that many things that I can go back to 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 piece together the holes in her story. And her story is fabulous and fascinating to me, mainly because I have granddaughters. I want them to know that women's um, potential is limitless. And this woman was a Philadelphia debutante who ended up being the first woman to solo fly over the North Pole in the middle of a war. That's and incredible. she didn't have to be. It's an amazing story. And I have to write this story for all women, but particularly for my nieces, my great nieces and my granddaughters. So that's my net. That's the project, that's the project. That is right now keeping me going. I have to do it. OK, so tell okay. us a little bit if people wanted to follow you, I have purchased said walking dog books and <laughs> i have read the one act play tell us where people can find you how do they find your work where can they go that's a really good question wendy and i i did have a website when i first wrote um Oh, my first book, which I didn't even talk about, which was Forged in Philadelphia, which is a young adult um, historical novel. Um, when I wrote that, I know I forgot about that. Um, that was my first book. Um, and I had a website and, and I've let it drop. But so I need to be that will be another one of my goals is to set up a, a website so that I can be reached. But actually, um uh, I, I will get to that. Uh, that'll we'll be on to my to-do list. That's my bucket list. But right now, if somebody wanted to read The Weathered Widows, where would they do that? Oh, that they would go to Amazon and click on eBooks, uh-huh. and um, you can purchase it. It's not a, a hardcover, you know, a hard copy book. It's only an eBook. You can download it to your d- device. And it is the um, proceeds of that, um, the sale of that book, which is only $2.99, uh, are going to Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and Autism Speaks because we have those um, needs in our family. Oh, that's terrific. See, it has a purpose. We need to get that out. That's important. 
I love what you're doing. And I love, you're very inspirational. And Well, thank you. And just to keep writing and get out there for all your fellow residents and make life Well, matter. I think that's important. And there's a whole new audience of friends that I have made here. I came here younger than most people. Um, and I am blessed with really good health and um, energy. And I am trying to use that to be an inspiration for people because I do see that people are disintegrating before my eyes. And that's very upsetting to me. And if you were to leave. So if I can be part of the solution and I can be part of, a, you know, I'm bringing a smile to somebody's face every day when we pass them with the dog, when I pass them on the path with the dog, books are on display here and people see them every day. So, you know, that's great. So getting a smile from your fellow people and bigger, better. Oh, gosh, I'm back to the affirmation thing, aren't I? <laughs> you are. You are. I love that, though. I, I think it's it's very good to keep that in mind that we need projects. We need reasons to get out of bed. We need yeah. things to keep us moving forward and realizing we that really do. we have one life and we need to fill Fill it with purposeful, meaningful. Let me read you a little poem that I just wrote last week about we only have that. one life. Okay. It says, we get no do-overs, only second acts. And we can do with what remains what we think the first half lacks. But it requires honest assessment of who we are down in our core, facing our full Faults and our demons is difficult, that's for sure. Isolation is a face-it, head-on chance to dive into how we can do it better and celebrate that we're still alive. Oh. So I want to take that poem and we're going to put it in the show notes for people to read and maybe even get it on the on the Facebook, My Second Wind Facebook group. I think that is a great poem right now. It's very, <laughs> it's very timely. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. And Becky, thank you so much for taking the time to connect with us here on Second Wind, the podcast and share your story that you can, well, you can be a writer. Wendy, at it's always age. fun to be talking to you. Oh, thank you. And it's so <laughs> nice to, to know that you're never too old. You're never too young. You just got to do what makes your heart sing. You really do. So thank That's you so right. much, and my friend. Soul, soul oh, well, thank you. It was great to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.